Our scripture New Testament lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. It's from verses 4 through 14. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One thing that I love about Paul, the writer of Philippians, is the sports imagery that he often incorporates into his letters. This week's is subtly about prizes and races, as you saw in, in our Children's Minute just a minute ago. It makes sense, though, because it's arguable that sports can serve as a universal language that can cross time and place. I would argue that for the most adamant sports fans, Right now is the absolute best time of year, even for casual sports fans, too. And if you're wondering, of course, I prepared today's sermon before my beloved Braves' frustrating demise this week and last week's Auburn game, last night's Auburn game. But still, it is the best time of year. The college football season has reached its midway point, and we are starting to figure out who is good and who is not good. Don't make me answer that. <laughs> Honestly, no matter what sport it is that is your favorite, or if you're like me and you just love all of them, any given day, your sport is probably on. NFL is occupying its television holding three days a week, with college football playing on about all of the other days nowadays. The Major League Baseball playoffs, with its pitch-by-pitch -pitch intensity that is really unrivaled, has been in full swing. The NBA starts next week, with college basketball soon to follow. High school sports have been in full swing, perhaps off the beaten path a little bit. 
for our context. The NHL started this past Tuesday. Perhaps you're a soccer fan, and you have been tuning in to English Premier League on Saturday mornings before American football gets started. Whatever your sports flavor, in mid to late October, you can watch it. And if you have no sports flavor, I'm sorry. <laughs> in fact, quite literally, October 30th, so just a few weeks from now, we will experience what has been called a sports equinox. This is, this is the 30th time in American history that this has happened, iconic moment. It is a day in which the four major American professional sports leagues, baseball, football, basketball, and hockey, will all be playing on the same day. Sheer beauty. <laughs> Many people are sports fans because they grew up playing the sport that they watch. Some get into sports for the camaraderie, the tradition, or the pageantry. Some get into them as they play them as adults to try to keep in shape. That comes in a number of ways. Pick up basketball, tennis, slow pitch softball, pickleball, running, walking, just to name a few. One thing about being six foot seven inches tall is that I find that my top heaviness has become a little more pronounced as I get older. Though people might tell me that this is not true, I feel certain that each time I fall playing a sport or honestly just being clumsy, the top of my body is further from the ground than it was the last time that I fell. So much so that any time I play basketball or something, my wife Sarah Beth very lovingly says, you aren't going to get hurt, are you? Or, be careful, I really don't have time to go to the ER today. <laughs> so considering this and considering busy and unpredictable schedules, a few years ago, though I hated distance running growing up, I picked up the activity that Paul references several times in Scripture and references in our Scripture passage today, running. There's something very convenient about putting on shoes, shorts, and a t-shirt, walking out your front door, and running or walking until you reach your goal and being done. In 2020, I started this by running 10 miles a week, and then I have added one mile per week each year. This year, it's 13 miles. I'm a very to-do list or task-oriented person, and so I like having that tangible goal. It forces me to put shoes to the pavement whenever I don't want to or whenever I can squeeze it in, which is usually three or four times a week. There's something beautiful about it. Each week, I can put one foot before the other and go until I hit my goal. I'm not competing with or against others like happens in all the other sports that I've played and love, but I press on toward the goal of each week's simple prize, 13 miles. Of course, fast times are nice, but when it's hard, 
I know I just have to get to my goal. It doesn't matter what happened last week, if it was the slowest week or the fastest week on record, it's all about pressing on and reaching that goal for that week. If there was a trip and fall, that run, or a trip and fall earlier in the week, that doesn't matter. It's about pressing on to the goal. Today's scripture comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, which is a little different from several of Paul's other letters. In the New Testament, churches often got letters from Paul because they were doing something that they were not supposed to be doing, or they were having an unnecessary fight that disrupted the unity of the church. Philippians differs in that it is primarily a letter of gratitude, a letter of encouragement, a letter of supportive instruction. That said, one of the critiques and frustrations that people sometimes have with Paul's letters is that he can come across as arrogant. In some places, this might seem fair. But on the other hand, I always like to remember, if, if most of your longest-lasting communications are ones of frustrated instruction, you might not like the way that you seem to be depicted by some people either. The beginning of the passage, when read in the wrong light, might sound arrogant or braggadocious. If anyone is confident in the flesh, it should be me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. I was born to Hebrew-speaking people, and we spoke Hebrew. I was a Pharisee, strict to the law. I even persecuted the church. And my righteousness under the law was blameless. Read out of context, with exception to the persecution of the church part, that sounds like it might be bragging or condescending, but it wasn't. As for the law, that system of righteousness that depended wholly on what we would do, Paul was arguably as good as it got. The point, though, is that he did not just say that just to say it, but he said that to set up the next part. He essentially says that no matter how good of a law abider he was, whatever that got him, he was willing to throw it away. He was willing to regard it as a loss because of Christ. He was able to regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Yes, he gave up all of the self-gratification and prosperity born to him out of the law so that he might gain Christ and salvation therein. Instead of law, he seeks to be like Christ, as we should all. People are often posed with questions or statements pitting the Old Testament and the New Testament against each other as if one can be good, and because of that, the other must be bad. It serves as a false dichotomy or false dilemma or false narrative that may sway us towards neglecting the Old Testament in some sense of loyalty to the New. That is not the case. Instead of comparing good 
versus bad, perhaps we should reframe the question as comparing two good things. Psalm 19 says that the law is sweeter than honey and more to be desired than fine gold. The law is a precious and holy gift from God, and it provided a set of guardrails and identity markers for God's covenant people. The law was from God and was good, and that is an undoubtable reality. The difference is that what we have in Christ isn't just good or great. It's perfect. We see that in Christ, we find that righteousness does not need to be defined by how we used to think of righteousness or how, God, or how Paul used to think of righteousness as a long list of laws that we must follow to find ourselves self-righteous. But righteousness can be found simply in knowing Christ. And that righteousness through Christ is something that we can never achieve on our own no matter how great we are. Through knowing Christ, we find things don't have to be as complicated. That knowing Christ is a call to love God and love one another. And that through Christ's selfless acts on the cross and his death and resurrection, we see that model of perfection as he did that by loving everyone so much to die for them but also to resurrect and invite us into that resurrection as well. No, the law and gospel is not good versus bad or even right versus wrong. The law is good. It's sweeter than honey. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is best. The gospel is perfect. It's no longer about what we have done but about what has been done for us. And that is a great joy with which we can take part. Paul's problem with the law is not the law itself, for it is good. And we deeply value the Old Testament as holy scripture. But Paul's problem is people that say that Christ alone is not enough. It's an idea that we have to add something to Christ to be made righteous that we need Christ plus the law, or that we need Christ plus Moses, or that we need Christ plus self-righteousness. No, Christ is enough. And we run our race towards him, for he is our goal and our prize. People come to know Christ and come to have faith in Christ in wide varieties of ways. In the class that I am teaching called Adult Confirmation on Tuesdays, we all wrote our stories of our faith journeys this past week. There is a beauty around the fact that each of us, every single one of us, have our own unique stories, our own unique faith journey. But for us gathered here this morning, Wherever we are or have been on that journey, we have ended up in this place, in this sanctuary together, running this race of faith. For Paul, before being a Christian, 
he was really, really faithful to what he thought would achieve righteousness and salvation. He was running a daily race with daily finish lines, a race that depended all on him, and a race that it was most important that he won. But then Paul began to know Christ, and as he says, he pressed on toward the goal, toward the prize of the heavenly call of God and Jesus Christ. He went from running self-serving daily races that reflected an attempt to win to joining this one race of faith, one solitary race for the rest of our lives that we run together. For others, they found Christ in the midst of a life where they were not living by right by any standard. Maybe it was a life founded on taking advantage of others or buried in addiction or filled with violence or whatever else there may be. A life where they feel like they might not be running a race at all, for they feel like they might not be running at all, but laying on the ground. But they got up off the ground and joined this race of faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. From there, their previous races or lack thereof didn't matter. They began putting one foot before another in our never-ending steady race of faith in this life that we run and press on for until we go on to glory with Christ. Perhaps others were born into this race of faith, born into the church, a beautiful image. But literally and figuratively, we joined the race in a stroller, running the race in the family of God, but not by our own volition. But we reached a point, whether it be through confirmation or a finding of faith on our own, or having a moment where we find our hearts strangely warmed, where we get up from the stroller and join the race ourselves, putting one foot before another. In our never-ending steady race of faith in this life, that we run and press on for until we go on to glory with Christ. Paul says clearly, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have laid hold of it, but one thing that I have laid hold of, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal toward the prize of the heavenly call of God and Christ Jesus. For Paul, it does not matter good, bad, right, wrong, indifferent, how you were in the past. What matters is that you have joined the race of the fam- with the family of God. It matters how you are in the present, putting one foot before the other, striving to imitate Christ through loving God and loving one another, and pressing on forward as community, running the race together, helping people up when they fall, carrying them when they can't run themselves, and giving thanks to God when a person beside us reaches the goal and goes on to glory. That is not to say that we won't stumble as we run. Perhaps we may even fall. We might lie on the ground and bleed a while, but our church community is here to help us up and press on 
and continue running again. We can liken our race to a caucus race, if you are familiar with that. If you've seen or read any of Alice in Wonderland, the dodo calls for a caucus race. In a caucus race, all of the participants run around in a circle together with no clear individual winner, but that everyone wins. Perhaps we have a tad more direction than a caucus race in our race towards glory with Christ. In a world where in sports, in careers, in politics, and in just about anything, winning and being better than someone else or another group is the main goal, the race that we run is countercultural. Like a caucus race, it is a race that is best the more people that win the race with us. We celebrate more competitors, for that means more people reaching the goal of the race, the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. In just a few moments, we're going to be invited to, to write letters to the future church compiling our dreams for how they will be running the race together. Even if when they read them, even if the future church, when they get them, some of us have already reached our prize. So, as we press on in the race, we strive to put one foot before the other, running together, imitating Christ in all that we do. It doesn't matter where we've been. It just matters that through the spirit that God has led us to where we are as we run the race. What matters most is where we are going, running a race that looks like Christ as we strive on towards perfection and salvation. A perfection and salvation that comes not by our own volition, but through Christ. To the glory of God. Amen.